How are you doing this morning? Um, so we're uh, in part three of a four-part uh, sermon series called God's Among Us. And uh, if you haven't been here, it's all okay because uh, you can kind of follow with us uh, where we are and where we're going regarding this particular topic. Uh, we live in a day and age where uh, spirituality is very rampant, uh, whether for bad or for good. And because of that, we as children of God need to be more discerning regarding uh, how God functions in the spirit. Um, if you know, uh, if you, I would ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis. Uh, there was a point in Genesis at the beginning where Adam had access to God with Eve. And we believe at the fall, meaning when Adam sinned, there was a separation between God and man. Now, uh, scholars argue that uh, we live in a world now with ten dimensions. Now, everybody remembers 3D, right? 3D. Well, but now we know empirically there are ten dimensions. It's called particle theory or string theory. Has anyone ever heard of string theory? Okay. Well, nobody raised their hand. But there is <laughs> something called string theory. Uh, now, with uh, particle accelerators and the technology that we now have, we can empirically quantify, measure that there are other dimensions that now affect us. And because of that, we see that what we used to believe in the scriptures, and at one time we thought science would answer all the questions, now we see the scriptures are adamantly true. The scriptures have been true all along. However, uh, there was one time in our history in America where we said, you know what, the Bible's not right, the science is right. But now we're seeing with the technology we have and the gain of information we have now, the scriptures has always been true. A lot of people through the 60s and 70s and even 80s lost their faith because they thought that science disproved the reality of God according to the scriptures. But now as time goes on, we begin to see, wait a minute, all the things that are written in the text are true. And when you realize that the Bible is true, you can take confidence in every single word the Scriptures say. You don't have anything out there undermining your faith. That is, in a sense, I believe, the trick or the work of the enemy. Back in the garden of Adam and Eve and, and Eden, we know that Satan subverted God's word. And Adam and Eve distrusted God. And because of that distrust, they fell into sin. And that's why here at Endurance Church, instead of saying the word faith, we try to articulate, do you trust God? Do you trust Him? Because trusting God is the issue at stake. The Bible says the demons believe in God and tremble. So the issue isn't, do you believe that God exists? That's not saving faith. Saving faith is, do you trust Him? Is He credible? I mean, can you, uh, in a sense, put your flag in the ground and say, you know what, I don't know all the truth, but I know what God's Word says. And because I don't have the facts, I'll trust God until the facts come. If you've been walking with God long enough, you kind of know that's how this works out. You say, Lord, I don't know, but I trust you. And when you take the step of faith, trusting God, then sometimes He gives us the answers. But He doesn't give the answers before we take the step of faith. Trusting God honors him. Trusting God gives him credibility. Trusting God glorifies him. But all throughout history, man has had a trouble, has had difficulties in trusting God. We struggle trusting God. And my argument today is that we have an enemy. An enemy with an army. An army that is in alignment. They're harmonious. Jesus said of Satan's, kingdom is united in a sense it will stand but if it's divided it will fall 
Satan's kingdom has not fallen yet. God's kingdom is now here and is beginning to prevail from the time of the cross until the time of his return. The challenge for us is we have to trust God. Did Jesus Christ win on the cross? That's a question you have to wrestle with daily. Regarding your ups and, and downs, you still have to trust God. We've been talking about idols, and the first idol we talked about in the beginning of the month was idolatry, literally idols. There are people who worship bottles of water, literally worshiping bottles of water. And we know, in a sense, that it's just a bottle of water. However, there are people who place their will at the bequest of the bottle of water. And because of that, they make that water their God. Everything they do centers around worshiping water. And we today may laugh at that, but the reality of it is that's some people's faith. There are other people throughout the world who worship, the Bible says, their belly or their impulses, their desires. Some people can't stop eating or drinking or being promiscuous or gambling or whatever the issue may be, but the truth is, unlike the idol external, this idol is inside of us. And this idol, some people have surrendered to it. The impulse is in their bodies. They can't stop listening to their impulses. And because of that, Paul says their God is their belly. And we know in that scripture, their belly is not necessarily their stomach. It's, it's their impulses. Now, my hope is to take you on a journey. We went from this external God to an internal God. And all of these are empirical. And we're going to, pl to a particular destination. We know that uh, all worship started in Babylon, false worship. Every single false religion, the Bible says, started in Babylon. Every type of spirituality that is contrasted to God. Remember the Tower of Babel, how God confounded the language of the world because they began to worship themselves, humanity did, with Nimrod and his cohorts. And God had to confound their language because they were beginning to drift away from God again. Then God had to raise up, raise up Abraham in order to restore the righteous line, to send the Messiah. And Jesus Christ came at the center of history to tell the world there is one God. And he loves you so much that he died for you. He gave his life for you. And he was resurrected from the dead. And all our hopes and aspirations we put into the hands of Jesus. And we, like John, say in Revelations, come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus is coming back. But from now until then, we have to be faithful to God. I'm going to make some pretty outrageous claims here today. Some of you are going to be like, oh, come on, pastor, that's not real. And you may say that, and it's okay. But I'm, I want you and I challenge you to store some of these facts away because I guarantee you, Lord willing, we live long enough, you'll begin to see where this country, where this world is heading. And it's not going toward worshiping the God of heaven. Do you know where this world is going toward? Worshiping God's enemy. We went from worshiping external things to internal things. Now today we're going to talk about worshiping celestial things. Beings that exist, but they're 
outside of our dimension. And because of that, we have a hard time believing they exist. But the Bible references them from the beginning to the end. Whether it's demons or angels or cherubim or seraphim or even God himself, these things are invisible to our mortal eyes. And it won't be until the day you take your last breath it won't be until you enter heaven's gates that all this becomes true. And my hope at that time you say, oh yes, my God, it was all true. And not, oh no, my God, it was all true. Well, this is so interesting. Throughout the scriptures, there's this underlining theme that these other gods exist. It's, and on the other hand, there are times when God says there is no God but God. Sometimes it looks like the scripture is contradicting itself, but oftentimes these scriptures are addressing specific points. And if you don't take the whole of scripture from its context, you miss out on what it's trying to say. If I would have the time we go through the Bible, remember Egypt when Moses, in a sense, and the Hebrews were being delivered from the Egyptians. Do you know every single plague that God sent was designed to overthrow a particular God that the Egyptians worshipped? Every single one, God, the God of heaven and earth, was showing he had the power over the gods of Egypt. This theme is so subtle that you miss it throughout the text. They don't give a lot of time in the text wrestling around with demons and false gods because man has a proclivity to worship everything. There are times when humans worship angels, times humans worship bottles of water. Humans even worship themselves. God doesn't want us to get distracted by worshiping these other things because we will be lost if we did. So God focuses from the beginning of the Bible to the end on his plan for redemption. He says, focus on that. But the Bible also argues that we know Satan's tactics. He has a strategy, and he's used this strategy from the beginning of time until now. I have stories that I could tell you about, quote, quote, demons and spiritual forces, but it will not benefit us today. But today I want to talk about Paul's argument regarding worshiping idols. Now, it's not the same argument we talked about earlier where Paul was saying, in a sense, don't worship this idol or the idol of your belly or, or an idol in the self. But he so subtly alludes to worshiping idols. The idols of the pagans, they are worshiping demons. I had to throw it out there because we're going to get into so much content, you might get lost in the sauce. I'm just trying to make it clear so you understand where we're going. The gods among us. So remember, regardless of what other idols or gods that exist, regardless of the other entities that have power to heal and take life and cause people to be sick, regardless of all those other celestial beings that the Bible says exist, God tells us to worship him and worship him alone. That's why we have the truth of Scripture. Because through the scripture, God reveals himself. We don't trust God just because, in a sense, he can do something miraculous. Because the devil can do that. 
But God is truth and he is holy. And because he is true and holy, God asks us to worship himself. And God verified his holiness, his love, his goodness through the cross of Jesus Christ. God loves us and protects us. We don't have to worry about these other things, but we just have to be aware they exist. Can I get an amen? I never normally ask for amen, but I did right there because we're going somewhere. I got a quote. It's a long quote, the longest quote of all time I've ever used here at this uh, church. But just work with me with this quote. Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite uh, scholars, he wrote a book called Jesus Among Other Gods. Ravi was raised up in a Hindu culture in India. And Ravi came to faith in Jesus Christ despite being in India, in a caste system. And he makes this claim. He said, every other person who has at the heart of any religion has had his or her beginning either in fantasy or in fact. So he's trying to say every other religion exists. The point of that religion, either that religion started from a fantasy, someone's brain, or some real historical fact. And he says, but nevertheless, there is a beginning. He says, every single religion has a starting point. This is interesting. Then he says this, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was a moment preceded by eternity. He's trying to say Jesus Christ didn't have a beginning. Our Christian faith stretches back to eternity. It's almost like you're watching the movie Star Wars. Who's seen, who's seen the last Star Wars? And all of a sudden, the opening credits, the, the song that comes on, I can't sing because I'm so musically inept. I can't even harmonize the song. Nevertheless, every time you play Star Wars, it's like a big battle scene at the very beginning. They're fighting. It's like you're jumping into a middle of a historical event. So there was a beginning but he's making the argument here, Jesus Christ didn't have a beginning. Jesus Christ has always been. I remember arguing with a guy on the street as I was street preaching. He said, okay, if, if God has always been, then what was before God? I'm like, nothing. I can't, what else can I say? God has always been. That thought alone blows your brain. How could he have always been? I mean, what happened before him? Nothing. He's always been. That thought alone should stretch your brain. And it goes on. His being neither originated in time nor came about by the will of humanity. The author of time who lived in the eternal was made incarnate in time that we might live with the eternal in view. In that sense, the message of Christ was not the introduction of a religion, but an introduction to the truth about reality as God alone knows it. To deny Jesus' message while pursuing spirituality is to conjure an imaginary religion in an attempt to see heaven while sight is confined to earth, to the earth. This is precisely what Jesus challenged when he said, I have come that you may have life. His life spells living your life or my life, apart from him, spells death. Let's go into the next scripture. Father, God, I ask you in the brief time I have, I ask you, Lord God, to use me to communicate your word so that ultimately we hear your voice and we'll be prepared and equipped, Lord God, for the time that is ahead. I pray right now, Lord God, that our hearts are changed and molded into your image, that we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So if you can't open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we're going to start there. But we're going to go further. There's a lot of scripture we have to cover today because there is this long argument Paul tried to make to the church in Corinth. Corinth, or the Corinthians, were a church that was kind of like in Las Vegas. Corinthians itself, it was referenced in that time as prostitution. So this is this giant mega church in the middle of Las Vegas that is prospering and thriving. But this church had a major problem. They were fighting against each other. They were infighting. They weren't on one accord. They weren't responding to each other in love. We know in chapters 12 and in chapters 14, Paul talks about the variety of the spiritual gifts that exist in that church. This church is very gifted, very talented, a large church. But they had so many problems. Most pastors say, if you want to think, if you think your church is having trouble, go to the book of Corinth. Paul wrote letter upon letter trying to help that church out. And the center of that, in a sense, book, the center of the two is chapter 13, which is the topic of what? Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Everybody uses it for their marriage. Everybody needs it in their marriage. Everybody needs it in every relationship. So Paul talks about this church is so gifted and so talented and it needs love. But in this letter, there's a practical issue this church is having. And it's, in a sense, causing more division. Let's go to Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. And it says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but what? Love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And there is no other God but one. The Bible sometimes plays with your mind. Because didn't it say right there, an idol is nothing, right? It says that. Idols are nothing. And it says there's only one God. If you put your flag there, say case closed, you go on from that point forward saying, this is the truth of God's word. There's only one God. And you're like, you're right. But then oftentimes God refers to other gods. And you're like, I'm confused, God. Is there one God or is there a lot of gods? There's one God like our God. There's only one God, but there are many small what? Gods. You can give your worship to anything. If you begin to worship this bottle of water, you know what this becomes? Your idol and God. Let's go on. Now listen to what he says here in verse 5. For even if there are, hypothetically speaking, gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and look at this in the parentheses, look what it says, as there are many gods and many lords. <laughs> I'm confused, Paul. Didn't you just say there are no other gods? Didn't you just say that with your mouth? Come on, Paul. There's only one God. But here, you just said out of your mouth what seems like the exact opposite. As there are many gods and many lords. Paul, I'm confused. Remember, we... We will probably talk about the spiritual world regarding demons two times, three times a year. 
because it's not ultimately helpful. But you have to know this is a reality. And if you're scared about those things, don't be. Because God says we prevail over the spiritual world with one thing and one thing alone. Love. If we love somehow in the spiritual realm, we can overcome any spiritual force that exists. Love is our key. And when we love, God works through us. His anointing flows through us to break shackles, to break bondages, to set people free. But if people don't see love, then we can't win against those spiritual forces. It says this, Yet, for us, there is one God. I'm like, come on, Paul. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can, can you see, can at least somebody tell me, can you at least see how that could be confusing? Okay. The Father whom are all things, we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things, and through him we live. Let's go on. Now, this is important. What is happening here in this text in this church? People are sacrificing to what? Idols. They're sacrificing, and during the sacrifice, they actually have meals out of that sacrifice. So someone takes a cow. They kill the cow and offer it to the bottle of water. Oh, my goodness. Where did I put the water? I was going to say, demons. <laughs> I'm glad you all are here to keep me right. I'm so serious about that one. So someone takes a cow. They want to make it rain. So they go to the rain god. They take their sacrificial cow. They kill the cow so that the rain god would then what? Bring rain all right but they kill the cow now they have all that cow what thank you what are they gonna do with that meat they're not they're not gonna throw that meat away they're not gonna give it to sam's <laughs> costco they're gonna eat that meat now the christians have a problem you're eating meat sacrificed to idols are you crazy don't do that. Now, this is what you have to understand. The Christian who is thinking, that is crazy. The Bible says he or she is more sensitive in their spirit. Now, the church, they're wrestling around. They're like, man, an idol is nothing. There's no such thing as idol. Those are fake. We can eat all the meat we want to eat. It doesn't matter that it's sacrificed to idols. And this is the argument Paul makes here. And also in Romans chapter 14, the very same thing. The same argument. The Romans are having the same problems as the Corinthians. The Romans are struggling with this. There's a brother in the church who says, you know what? I don't eat meat. I only eat vegetables. And he's coming in saying, we can only eat vegetables. And the church is tripping out like this dude is tripping. Let's get rid of him. That's what they're saying. And Paul says, you know what? We need to respond in love. Both of them, all right? And it seems like that's the final answer. If someone has scruples or it's a gray issue, not a black and white, it's a gray issue, respond in love. Everybody's conscious as at a different level. And because of that, you have to be careful how you address everybody. That's what the Bible says. The Bible also talks about the weaker brother in the faith or 
in his morals. And because he's more sensitive, you have to be careful. Because his or her morals, if you push them beyond their level or their limit, they could fall and then continue on in the sin because they knew what their line was. Our responsibility is not to push people past their conscience, but to allow them to remain where they are. Can I get amen? Now, it seems like this is where the subject is over. However, it's not. Listen to what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. This is the exact same book, the exact same letter. And then this letter he goes on to say in verse 12 of chapter 10, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he falls. He goes on to say, No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man, but God is faithful and not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able. But will also with temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. How do I know that scripture? Because I've memorized that thing over and over in my life. I've struggled with sin, and that scripture right there was one of the scriptures I used to help me overcome sin. Whenever I felt temptation, I stripped, I'd say that scripture, blah, 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 and I'm like, okay, now I'm strong enough. That's what I thought. That didn't always work, but that's what I thought. But the scripture's true nonetheless. But who is Paul talking to regarding this scripture? That's the most important part. Paul is not referring to here the weaker brother. Paul is referring here to the brother who thinks he's strong. This is the one who's saying, man, I could eat meat sacrificed to idols. He's saying, man, I could eat, vet, I could eat meat and I could eat it all. And you know what? Paul's like, you may be right. He's like, but be careful. You th who think you are strong. Why? Look at this. Look at verse 14 through 18. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. I speak to as wise men. He said, Judge, your, judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessings, referring to Jesus Christ's cup, he's referring to a marriage here. He says, The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. It's not the bread which you break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though being many, are of one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Listen to this. I observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar? What he's saying here is this. We are married to Christ. And because we're married to Christ in his covenant, be careful that you remain faithful. Because if you're married to Christ, your only obligation, your only obedience, your fidelity must be to Christ alone. Remember, he's talking to the stronger brother or sister in the Lord. Now look what it says here in 19. This is the, this is the conclusion. He says, what am I saying then? Remember, the stronger brother. That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to an idol anything? Verse 20, rather than the things with the Gentiles are pagan sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Anybody see that? This is so important. I'm sorry, we're in Scripture a lot. Today. I know it's not fun, but if we got to make this point. It was a really long point I had to make, so I'm working hard. I'm trying. I'm putting it out there so you kind of hear this long argument. What is Paul saying? He's saying this. Idols are nothing, and you're fine. Yes, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. And if your brother can't eat that meat, you know what? Don't let him eat. If your sister can't eat that meat, you know what? Don't let her eat. Don't, don't intrude upon her conscience. Let her alone. But it says this, but you, the person who thinks they're strong, 
you be careful eating meat sacrificed to idols. Because some of those idols are attached to what? Demons. My dramatic pause. Did, was it good? <laughs> Look what it says in verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? It's such a subtle point, and there's no more talk about demons in the entire book. Nothing. And that's it. It just popped here in these last two verses, and there's nothing else. Because we don't focus on the demons. We focus on God. But the warning is, if you think you are strong enough to live on the line of gray, he's like, just be careful, because you may fall over. There are spiritual forces at work that you have to be concerned about. We live in an age where spirituality is growing more rampant and more rampant. We have movies about the gods of Egypt, Clash of the Titans. False gods that at one time people gave their lives for, sacrificed their children for. And these quote, quote, gods, the Bible says, are still here today. The word of warning, Paul saying, be careful. Everybody got that? Be careful. All right, let's get into some points. What do you need to know? Other gods exist, according to the Bible. There's only one God, uniquely our God who is the creator of heaven and the earth. There's one God, and he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He's the one we place all our hope in, Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry, are there any other gods like that God? No. There's only one like him. But there are other little G's that exist everywhere, but some of them have attached with them spiritual influences. And if you've never seen someone attached to a spiritual influence, you have not lived yet. There are other forces that exist in this world. We have been cut off from six of the dimensions that exist. When you die, these words that I say, that which may now sound funny, are going to be very much real. Jesus Christ came to show us reality as it is. We talked about it a couple of months ago. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Bible says we wrestle against spiritual forces, principalities, powers that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. I know it's a scary topic. I'm saying trust God. Just be aware that these things exist. So what we need to do? You need to know this so that you will not be surprised that some humans choose to worship other gods. This is a fact of life. We as Christians here, we believe we know the truth. Christianity is based in history. I could take you right now to the place where Jesus Christ died and was resurrected. I could take you right now to the place where Moses crossed the Red Sea. We can go underneath the water of the Red Sea and we can still see chariots with algae on it. There's videos of it. I've seen it. I almost cried when I watched it. I'm like, it's all. It's all true. These are myths, fables. This is all real. 
But the challenge you have to understand is why is it that I don't completely believe everything the Scriptures say? Why is it that I struggle wrestling with truth of God's Word? Why is it I have a hard time and challenged by doing what God asks? Why do I have a difficult time praying? Why do I have a difficult time fasting? Why do I have a difficult time loving God? We wrestle against spiritual forces. How do you win? Love. I'm hearing any thoughts or questions, additions, subtractions. So what do we need to do? Only worship God the Father of Jesus Christ. This is important in this day. Because right now, every religion is kind of put on the same plane. Well, except in America, because now the worst religion in America is what? I mean, Christianity gets destroyed at every argument. You can be for every religion. Everybody's like, oh, that's so awesome. You can be for that religion. You can be for that other religion. But if you're for Christ, oh, you get ridiculed. The pressure is on those who believe in Jesus Christ. We are in a world that is opposed to God. And because it's opposed to God, it's opposed to Jesus Christ because he is God. And if you are for Jesus Christ, the world would be opposed to you. And I'm not saying just this world we live in. I'm saying spiritual forces, principalities, powers. You have to wrestle against all these things. That's why you pray. That's why you come to church. That's why you open your Bible. That's why you fast. That's why you memorize Scripture. That's why you meditate on Scripture. Because you are in the middle of a spiritual war. And it's raging. Yet sometimes we go home and we watch the Packers win. We know the Vikings lose. We watch uh, Netflix and chill. We are on Facebook. We do all these things and we think, well, you know what? That's just another part of reality. But you don't understand this spiritual world is very much entwined in every single thing you do. I come here at the risk of being crazy, of sounding out of my mind to tell you God's truth so that you can trust God's word. It's all true. You got to remember, Jesus Christ alone is a source of our life. One day, I always say this, our heart beats will not beat anymore. Our heart beat. Our heart will not beat anymore. Thank you, Christy. One day we won't be able to talk out of this rented body. That day's coming soon. A hundred years from now, who's the youngest person in here? Ezra? Uh, yep. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, baby. Oh, she's the youngest. Hazel? Is that, okay, I didn't want to. Hazel's the youngest baby here. A hundred years from now, she may not even be here. A hundred, just a hundred years. From that time until now, what will we do? When is it that you'll say God's word is truth? I know I sound crazy, but it's the truth. Jesus Christ is the source of your life. When things get rough, don't turn to another human being. When things get rough, don't turn to necessarily a doctor. I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. You know, I believe in doctors. But the doctor isn't the one ultimately going to determine whether you're healed or not. <laughs> Everybody can know that. 
when you're in trouble, turn to Jesus Christ. He is the source of life. He's been here from the beginning. All life comes from Him. The question is, do you trust Him? And if you don't, why not? And that's my argument. Everything is designed to get you to doubt Jesus. Even my bad speaking today is designed to get you to, okay, man, what am I going to do when I go home? Man, what am I going to do when I go home? Oh, it's snow. My kids, all, all these thoughts are fighting against God's truth. You got to know God's may be among us, but God is for us. God is for you. He's been winning fights for human beings from the very beginning of time. The question is, will you hang with him? Will you hang in there and trust him? Whatever is hindering you from completely surrendering to the will of God, I'd say the influence is not godly. Whatever is taking your time away from God, fight. I've now started doing uh, sermons for my family on uh, Saturday. I know, Mallory, I'm doing the best I can. I never saw my dad um, ever pray. Never saw my dad kiss my mom. Never saw my dad hug my mom. Uh, never saw him tell my mom he loved her. Uh, I never saw my dad um, tell me he was proud of me. What I'm trying to say is I believe there were spiritual forces that were trying to get him to not trust God. And because he didn't trust God, his influence affected me. My dad um, still today struggles with the church. He comes to the church. He said, the church is full of hypocrites. Look how mean they are. <laughs> he said, look, that's a, look, that's a Christian. He said, that, that can't, he said that's, a, that's why I won't go to church. Today, he doesn't even go to church. My mom goes to church, and he sits at home. But he and his brain cannot conceptualize. He's fighting a spiritual war. I can't say, Dad, there are demons. He's like, be quiet. Get out of here. I've never seen a demon. But he has bad dreams sometimes. Dreams that seem so real and so scary. He wakes up like, oh, my gosh, sweating. I'm like, God, Dad, like, God's trying to warn you. This is real. The Bible says... We have to place our trust in Jesus. The person I love, my father, is just that way. I pray and I hope that he comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But to accept Jesus means to accept all of scriptures as it's conveyed. All of it. It's right. Anything in life that doesn't align up with the scriptures is wrong. I don't care how much information we have about it. It's wrong. And if you could trust Jesus Christ, man, you will find freedom. Our God is the only God that has your best interest in mind. It may not seem like it. This was a rough week for me. The kid did bad this week. I don't think I won. My scoring average was low. 
I didn't hit any home runs. Through a lot of interceptions, you know, all these little miles. Hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say. It was a bad week. But I learned how to remain faithful now during storm. I preached a message that I'm like, Lord, this is not going to be a happy message, Lord. People aren't going to leave there going, oh, my. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, Kathy. <laughs> but God is still good. He's sovereign and he's in control. I believe this message is one of those messages that are like, uh, it's like floss. That I, I, I brush my teeth, right? Everybody here flosses, right? Don't raise your hand. Oh, no, I don't want to see nobody shake their heads, no. Everybody here flosses. You need to floss. Floss kind of gets in between like the gums. Helps make the, the teeth more healthy. This is one of those sermons. There's intelligence that's fighting against you. I'll say that there will temptation come. There will temptation come. And I mean to say it like that. And when it comes, understand there's intelligence there. You know your weakness right now. Everybody does. Do you not? Don't raise your hand. I guarantee you in the next month or two months, it will come. That's what the Bible says. Temptations will come, whether you're strong or weak. But when it comes, understand this. It wasn't by coincidence. Tests come to reveal our heart, our character. Seems like everything is going bad. It is for a purpose. God's trying to reveal himself in you and through you. God's enemy wants you to fail the test. But God has already won the war. Your job is to trust him. You don't have to fall every time temptation comes. I'm not saying you're going to get every test right. I'm not going to say you can get all A's every single time. But what I'm saying is get back up. Keep going forward. It's okay. Keep moving forward. Because there's more for us than those that are against us. I talked about the enemy and the evil world. Do you know there are angels that exist? In the Bible, one angel destroyed 185,000 men. This, this war is fixed. But during this time, when you get challenged, when you get offended, when you get hurt, all these things are designed to separate you from your relationships, from your church, from your family, from your community. And when you're isolated and alone, and you find yourself in the middle of an attack, you've been trapped. He's been trying to get you by yourself the whole time. So what am I saying today? Stay close. God's for us. Let me pray. Bow your heads. Father God, I understand that you're sovereign. We know that you're Lord and you're God. But Father God, you revealed a light today, Lord God, on the spiritual world. You revealed a light, Lord God, in the backs of our closets. And Father God, there you say, you know what? Be careful. And today, Father God, we commit ourselves to you anew. We know there are spiritual influences that are designed to get us to doubt you, to run from you. But you're just asking us to love. You say we win with love through a loving relationship, Father God. Not only for you, Lord God, but for those around us. You made it simple for us, Father. 
I pray, Father God, that we, we don't stray. Not just from you, Lord God, but from our brothers and sisters in you. So today, Lord God, we declare you king of our lives. We renounce every idol, every false god. And we focus on you, king of kings and lord of lords, god of gods, creator of the universe. And we say renew our hearts. Renew our commitments to each other. Renew our commitments to you, Father God. Renew our commitments to your word. Father God, help us, Father God, deal with whatever forces that are not of you. And as we do this, Father God, we pray that you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise out of our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So I know, I know, guys, I know. It was a tough one. We labored, but we got through it. I really wanted to preach that so bad, but I'm glad uh, I, I got it out, so now I feel better. Uh, next month is Resurrection Month. Uh, next month we're going to be dealing with um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every single week we're going to deal with a different aspect. We're going to, go through the f- we're going to come from the four Gospels, and each one has a different aspect or perspective of Jesus Christ on the cross. I think the sermon series title will be The Cross and the King and how Jesus Christ won on the cross. Next week, this week was hard. Next week is going to be harder. Because next week we're going to talk about worshiping Satan. I just threw it out there. Because I believe all false worship is designed to lead us to worship Satan. And that's what, that's what really false worship is. You've got to be honest. So I've been trying week after week to try to let you know subtly. I've been trying to give you the, the vegetables in short amounts. And now we're going to get you the, oh, you want to have the cauliflower. Ugh, cook cauliflower. Please help me from cook cauliflower. <laughs> or cook carrots. Oh, I don't like those. But thank you um, for listening and being patient. We have uh, vittles over there to the left. If you need prayer, there's going to be somebody coming up to my right and somebody coming to my left. If you want to do God's will, let me, let me, I'm going to be as transparent as possible. If you want to do God's will, you want to pray, you want to hear God, you want to trust Him, but it just seems like you're divided, please come up for prayer. Trust me. If you're like, man, I, I, I keep wanting to do God's will, but I just, I just can't. Come up for prayer. That's all I'm going to say. We'll pray that God will set you free. We have small groups coming up on Wednesday. Come out to small groups. They're not this tough as it is in here today. Small groups are fun. They're, they're happy. We get to love on each other. We get to hang around and chase little kids around. Um, and we're trying to grow as a family. We're here today, and, and I'm telling you, two years from now, it won't look like this. Three years from now, it won't look like this. But while we are small, fall in love with the people beside you. Because when you get bigger, it's hard to love those people you don't get to see. <laughs> love them while they're here. We want to love you. Honestly, we do. Allow us to love you. There are vittles uh, out there in the foyer to, to the left, and uh, the tables are designed to get you to hang out. Uh, if we see you running out the door, we're gonna, we have people designed to tackle you. I play pro football, so we practice it. So just so you know, if I see you running, I'm going to get you. Uh, we're going to have big guys guarding the door so you don't leave. Please, before you leave, hug two people. And if you get tackled, don't be mad at me. I told you. All right. Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord Jesus, turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.